Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. We're in Advent now. What we're going to do is focus each week on four little words, four words which are apt and suitable for us to be considering as Christians during this time of waiting, waiting for Christmas Day. You know the old phrase? Oh, are you on your way? Yeah, I'm coming. Yeah, so is Christmas. Christmas seems like it takes ages to come. But Advent is as much about waiting for Jesus coming back again. So there's four words that are about uh, that time, things that, that fit. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the word hope, or the idea of hope, trying to explore what hope should be for Christians, um, what it's not, and how it affects our lives, not just for 24 days while we wait for Christmas Day, but always. I've been a little bit disappointed, I have to confess. We've got a, an election coming up, and knowing that I was preaching on hope, I was desperate for some sort of party political literature to come through my door that declared to me, I am your only hope, or for one of the major parties to use hope in like their main slogan. I think I'm right in saying that isn't the case. And yet, when you think about it, part of the tactics in campaigning is helping or encouraging us to feel hopeless without them. Isn't that right? And I'm not having a go. I think this just makes common sense that when a candidate is trying to get you to vote for them, to appeal to you, to explain why they're the best choice, at the same time, they they paint quite a bleak picture of how things currently are and how bleak things will continue to be if somebody else is put in charge. Um, Helping us to be dissatisfied or have a feeling of hopelessness is kind of in the air always, but especially around um, election time. I don't think we consider hope that much. We might use the word quite often. We might say things like, I hope so. I hope there is. Hopefully, we'll use the word, but I don't think we actually consider what it means. I don't think we even consider what we mean when we're saying it, because it's quite a conceptual thing. It's quite an ethereal, vague concept of a sort of thing. But you read anywhere in your Bible, especially in the New Testament, and this word keeps on coming back up. Hope, 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 hope. It's a really, really important word. Along with faith and love, according to Paul, it is one of the top three things that we're supposed to have as Christians. And yet... How many of us would really relish the chance to take that word and to explain it to somebody else? Or to stop and say why having hope should make a difference in our lives? Because we believe that about all of our Christian faith, don't we? That it makes a difference in our lives. I want to read this morning from the start of Peter's first letter. um, And he uses this word hope. I could have gone so many places, um, but I think Peter 
sums it up quite well. And it's a, it's a passage, for obvious reasons, has been in my head since we've started singing a particular song in church. You might pick it up. This is what Peter says. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. What is hope? I mean, it's obviously a key concept in what Peter wants to speak to Christians about. As I've mentioned, Paul thinks it's one of the top three for Christians to have in their lives. What is it? The word hope in the Bible, I think, is used entirely different to how we normally use it in our common language. When we actually speak about hope and being hopeful, I think I'm right in saying what we mean is we're optimistic. We're being optimists. We're using our faculties to survey events and circumstances and situations. And because we've got like a favorable disposition, we are saying, do you know what? In all of this, I can kind of see how it will work out okay in the end. Like, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that <laughs> I'm going to have a pleasant Sunday lunch today. I, I hope so. Because I, I could put the ingredients together. I know someone's offered me Sunday lunch. I know that they can cook. Um, it's my sister. Uh, like, it's not necessarily a nailed-on certainty. But I'm, I'm exercising like that optimistic point of view. The opposite of it is pessimism, where we feel hopeless no matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how wonderful the signs are. We will always be able to look at the circumstances and kind of plot events, twists, turns, which go down. Now, I, is there anybody who thinks that being pessimistic in life is a good thing? Anybody? I'm sure that there might be advantages. I'm not, I can't see how being pessimistic... We'll all agree that being optimistic is a good thing. If you're going to have an attitude, it may as well be optimistic. And yet, that is not what the Bible speaks of when it speaks of hope. That is certainly not what Peter is writing about here when he says, you have been given this new birth into a living optimism because of what Jesus has done. When Paul says, you need to have faith, you need to have love, you need to have hope, he's not saying, do you know what? Just always have a sunny disposition. No matter how, thing, how bad things get, always be able to plot a course and think, well, do you know what? If so-and-so changes their mind, if this happens, if we wake up on Tuesday and it's not raining, then everything will be okay. He's not saying that. In fact, there's a few instances, there's a few occasions when that sort of hope is used in the Bible, and it's, it's not a good thing. Classic example of that is in Luke 24, when the risen Jesus meets some of his followers on the road to Emmaus. And this is what they say. 
they're, they're, they're downbeat, they're sad, they're disappointed. And when Jesus asks them, like, why the gloom? What, what's going on? They retell the story of Jesus coming, presenting himself as the Messiah, the rescuer, and then being killed by the Romans and the Jewish officials. And, and that's bad news for them because they put it like this, we had hoped he would be the one to rescue us. Their life up until that point following Jesus looked like this, you say that you're the rescuer. And we can see that you've got certain powers, wonderful powers, and you seem to be saying positive things to us. So we can put circumstances and event together, which means that you're going to rise up, we're going to kick out the Romans, and it's going to be our land once again. You're going to rescue us. They were optimistic. They weren't like biblically Christian hopeful. What happens when circumstances don't figure out then? Well, they're downcast, they're gloomy, they're glum. Their hope has completely disappeared. They're on a walk now, and even though Jesus has died for them and risen to life and come to meet them, they can't see how that's good news until Jesus spells it out for them. So if hope in the Bible and hope for us in Advent isn't optimism, it's not. It's certainly not pessimism. What? Is it? I'm going to say it is realism. Hope in the Bible is all about realism. It's about being able to look in either direction, backwards or forwards, and see with certainty the God who does not change. This was the practice of the Old Testament people especially when they walked in dark times, when they were in exile, when they'd come back from exile and life was still hard, when they were still oppressed. They were full of hope. Now, how did they do that? Well, they looked back. They remembered something called the Exodus. They remember how God had brought them out of a very similar situation in the past. Why? So that they could perish in the wilderness? Well, as it turns out, when they first went through the wilderness, a lot of them thought that's what God was doing. But it wasn't for that. It was to plant them like a vineyard, to grow them up, to give, to bless. And so what they did in their horrible circumstances wasn't plot a course, wasn't to say, I can see how circumstances can change. If A and B happens and C happens and we wake up on Tuesday and the sun is shining, then we can be in a happy place yet again. They weren't being optimistic. They were looking back and they were saying, we know that God. We know the God who rescued us remains. We know the God who rescued us, rescued us for a purpose, and he will and has promised to do it again. Hope for them was focused on Yahweh, and it gave them confidence in their future. It was a realism for them. It was seeing the world as it really was. It was, if you like, ignoring the circumstances which were screaming at them, shouting at them, your God isn't good anymore, your God isn't about, your God has abandoned you. Lies. They, in hope, were able to see the world for what it really was, true life the God who keeps his promises. And we don't just look back at Christmas, do we? 
obviously in December, we think a lot about Jesus' coming as a baby, the incarnation. But we look at so much more than that, don't we? Because that was done with a purpose. We've sung about it in so many different ways, that Jesus came, he was born, he took on flesh so that he could live, so that he could die, so that he could be raised to everlasting life again. And it's funny, funny, isn't it, that when Peter speaks about a living hope, he speaks about it exactly in terms of the resurrection. He's giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say realism, hope is seeing the world for what it is, and seeing it as life lived between two fixed points, two fixed, certain, solid points. The first being Jesus' death and resurrection, his coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, all of that is certain, it's solid. And just as certain and solid, for those of us who believe, is that Jesus is coming back and that resurrection life is for us. This is what Paul is speaking about in 1 Corinthians 15. When he, some people said, well, I'm not entirely sure the whole resurrection business is true. They didn't want to see life for what it truly was. And Paul says, what? Well, what are we about then? If only we've got hope for now, we should be pitied more than anybody else. Our hope is entirely based on these two fixed things, that Jesus has come, he has lived, he has died, he has raised to life again, and he is coming back, and when he comes back, we will be raised to life with him. That's our confidence. That's our hope. And if we have hope like that, biblical hope, seeing the world for what it really is, then circumstances can be whatever they can be. It isn't dependent on us being able to join lines, plot a course through various things, uh, cross our fingers, um, make our wishes that certain people will do certain things or, or certain uh, events will come to pass. We can have confidence, hope. Peace, joy, they're two other words that we're going to be thinking about. We can have those even in the darkness, even in the darkest of times. Jesus came and he joined himself to humanity. He came to be where we are. And in rising to life again, he has made it so that we can be joined to him and we can be found where he is, which is in glory with the Father. So it's not about looking at circumstances. It's not about having a sunny disposition and a positive outlook. It's not about being optimistic. It's about being confident because we look at a person, a trustworthy person. We look at events, solid, fixed events. We are realistic. Now, what's the difference that makes in, in our lives? We were chatting about this on Friday when we should have been wrapping presents, but there was no presents to be wrapped. Some people had come in in the morning and done an amazing job and wrapped virtually all the presents. So we had an hour to sit down and to think and to speak about hope. And um, just some life without hope, someone said this to me, means that our fears dictate our choices. When we're governed, when we're bound by circumstances, and, and we don't really have that certainty in our future, it means that the decisions we make 
the attitudes that we have, the kinds of people we are, are dominated by fear and dominated by circumstances. But if our hope is the living hope that the Bible speaks of, that Peter um, comes there, this born-again hope through Jesus Christ and his resurrection, then that means that hope dictates our life choices, our decisions, our attitudes, the sort of people that we are. And they are two very different-looking lives. Hopefully this week you'll be enrooted and you'll get to have a look at the sort of way that Peter, in the rest of this chapter, kind of spells that out, looks at the different things that that makes. But hope should change how we make every single decision because we're not hoping for the best, but we're living sometimes with aches, often with pains. In fact, hope can be exercised more in the darkness than anywhere else, but it means that we're living in certainty that comes through Jesus Christ. This isn't pie in the sky for when you die. It's living in the big picture. And you know what? That isn't easy. That's hard, isn't it? Because every day we wake up and in some way, shape, or form, we've forgotten the big picture. We've forgotten the bare facts, the, the, the truth which should define us, that God loves us enough to send his son into our mess, into our mire, into our pain, into our suffering, into our brokenness, that he loves us enough, does that son, to be abandoned onto a cross and to die, and yet is powerful enough to raise him to life again and to invite us to enjoy that everlasting life. Like we wake up every morning and in some way, shape or form, we've either forgotten that entirely or we've forgotten a little bit about it. And then what happens is as we work our way through the day, there are these little voices, there are these little messages which undermine that truth, which chip away at the part of that which is left, telling us, well, mm, I don't know, is he that good? Is he that loving? Was that really for you? Is it really as certain and sure as you thought it was? Will it be quite as good as promised, or is that just a little bit of politicians' propaganda? chips away, chips away, chips away, and erodes. And it means that it's actually hard for us. It, it doesn't come naturally for us to live with this sort of hope, with this sort of realism, with this sort of big picture, seeing the world as it truly is, because everything else in the world, virtually, screams at us that that is a lie. So the Christian's job, the Christian's duty, I guess one of the things I'm offering you now if you're not a Christian is the opportunity and the ability to cling on to something. The author to the Hebrews called it an anchor, this hope that we have, something solid, something immovable, something which does not change with the season, something that isn't volatile. We've got to fight for that. We cannot take that for granted. Like Christians throughout the millennia have, have found different ways of doing it. We do it by taking communion. Like literally, the communion, as described by Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, is declaring the Lord's death until he comes. It, it doesn't get much like the two fixed points than that, does it? 
having this view of Jesus and what he has accomplished through his body, through his life, through his blood, through his death, and the fact that we're doing this because we know that he is coming back at a point. What do you think you're doing when you take communion? I don't know. But part of it, part of it is reminding ourselves of the world as it really is. It's helping us to be hopeful, not fingers crossed, realists. It's helping us, hopefully, to live in response to that. Jesus really has died. He really is coming back. What else do we do? We meet together every week. Virtually every week. Not everyone always comes every week, and I think you miss out when you don't. Because the world, wherever you are, if you're not with your brothers and sisters, is probably telling you, not worth it, not true, not certain. But we get to come together every Sunday morning without fail, and in some way, shape, or form, turn our gaze to Jesus and the certainty and the solidity of who he is and what he is. People read their Bibles every single day, maybe hopefully starting the day with it. Because when you wake up in the morning and you've forgotten a little bit of it, before you have the chance and the opportunity for other words and other voices and other ideas to start chipping away, to go and to see this is true, this is certain, I mean, I I could go on with the ways that people do that, but my point is this. We cannot take it for granted. You may feel that hope. You may feel that certainty now. Tighten your grip on it. Tighten your grip on it. Don't take it for granted. You may not feel that hope and that certainty, and I'm saying to you, you can know it. You can know the joy that comes from it, even in the darkest of situations, because it is solid when nothing else is in life. But you won't get that by accident. We need to strive to live in hope. Not to be optimistic, not to be clicking our heels, saying, oh, there we are, then it'll work out in the end. I'm not saying that, but to be realists, to see the world for what it truly is, a world in which we are loved beyond measure. We are loved beyond our understanding that God is a God who has power that goes beyond what we could hope or imagine. That while it seems like things are getting worse, they're not, by the way, like it's provable that life is better now than it was 2,000 years ago. That's a rant for another day. But when it feels like life is getting worse and worse and worse, and we're screaming out, Lord Jesus, will you never come back? We need to know, yes, he is coming back. That is a certain fact, and it will be glorious. So we're going to do this. I apologize. We're going to do this. We're going to take communion together, something as simple as that. We're going to declare to ourselves, to one another, that Jesus has come. He has lived. He has died. He has ascended to heaven. He has united himself to us. He has paid the price for our sin. He has reconciled us with the Father. He has got us forgiveness. He has achieved our adoption into his family. All that is done and dusted and taken care of. And we will only take this until he comes back. There will be feasting. There will be rejoicing, a plenty in the new creation. But it will not be a communion dinner. It will be a marriage supper, something else to chat about. But we are doing this until that fixed point, that certain point. And then we will leave here this morning a little bit more hopeful. Not optimistic, 
realistic that this is the world that we are living in. He is the God that we are worshiping. We are the people who have benefited from this God. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the guys just to help us hand it out. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that we can have hope. We thank you that we are called to have hope, to exercise that hope. Lord, help each one of us to see what it means to have our decisions and our lives structured and ordered by hope rather than fears, selfishness, a scarcity mindset. Lord, help us to see the world as it truly is. We've sung about Jesus on his throne and us, your children. Lord, help us to see that and to know it and to live that out. Help us to be a people who don't take hope for granted. Help us to be a people who recognize that our hope will be eroded at every opportunity. And that one of the things you have called us to do, one of the things you equip us to do by your spirit is to, is to maintain hope. Help us to declare this to ourselves, to each other, to the world around us up until that moment that Jesus comes back and it is all fully realized. Lord God, we thank you for the time of waiting. We might prefer to be right at the end, but Lord, we thank you that even now, that ending makes a difference because of who you are, of who Jesus is. Amen. hope that you found today's message useful and challenging and we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss if you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church make sure to like us on Facebook and lastly check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts Thanks for listening.